This is the Illinois. This is my time. This is our time. Grab that bull by the horns and own it, man. Today's your day. Let's go to work. Welcome to the Illinois podcast. The Illinois. Cutting through the noise of Illinois politics. Here's your host, Patrick Fingston. Well, hey there, and uh, good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to our Wednesday live stream. I'm Patrick Fingston. I write the Illinois.com, uh, the uh, political newsletter that uh, kind of cuts through the noise of uh, politics and politicians and and hold some of them accountable for what's going on here in uh, here in Illinois and and uh, what we're facing in in this state. And obviously, there's a ton of uh, controversial topics that that continue to uh, permeate around the state. Uh, this uh, as we're under six weeks from election day now. Uh, it's um, you know it's it's a hot it's a, a hot environment. Uh, hot topics are are out there and and people are sensitive and and uh, are, are definitely uh, on edge uh, on both sides of the aisle. But, uh, and I think that's led to some people taking some liberties and uh, we'll talk a little bit about those things uh, as we, we move on um, this, uh, this afternoon. But I wanted to start this, this afternoon with the ongoing discussion about the new criminal justice reform law, the safety act, as it's called uh, the, the, the end of cash bail in the state that, that we've been talking a lot about over the last few weeks. The, the idea is that, um, that, that proponents don't want uh, defendants to be held on nonviolent, non-threatening crimes because they simply can't pay, pay bond. The, the question, uh, ongoing is, uh, one, does that even apply anymore after changes to the way bond was done a few years ago? And two, is the law written in a way that it actually continues to uh, allow criminals, uh, defendants, to to be held when they are accused of a crime or, or are a threat to, to people or the community at large? Uh, it's an ongoing discussion. It's an ongoing uh, battle. Uh, we are uh, going to bring in uh, State Representative Patrick Windhorst uh, this uh, this afternoon. Representative, we've got a little noise on your end. I don't know if you've got um, some background or or what on maybe background. Can you hear me all right? We do hear you. There's some noise, but we'll we'll make it work. Okay. Uh, Representative Windhorst from Metropolis, uh, way down along the o Ohio River. Yes. Uh, I've, I've spent some, uh, I've spent some time down there working congressional races in the past. Beautiful, beautiful place. Uh, representative Winhorst is a former state's attorney, uh, in, in, uh, Massac County, uh, down in the Southern part of the state. So he's, he's someone that's, that's been involved in the, the criminal justice process, uh, you know, in, uh, in, in a big part of his life. So representative, I want to start here because I feel like, whether you support cash bail or, or, or elimination of cash bail or or wherever you are on this, has the rhetoric been too much here that, you know, this is going to be like the horror movie, The Purge, where crime is legal and, and people are going to be 
killed and maimed and you know criminals are not going to be held responsible for anything anymore is this has the rhetoric been a little too far in all of this well i personally i'd like to being a lawyer like to drill down into what the law is and try to use my experience and what i see as the experience of other areas to to uh, try to determine what it's going to mean for us uh, in illinois when we make uh, these reforms now, I was state's attorney uh, when the prior uh, Bail Reform Act uh, was put into law in 2017 and was implemented in 2018. And of course, I had uh, some concerns about that implementation. And then what we're going to see come January 1st is an even broader uh, bail reform than we saw five years ago. So I think what we hear uh, from people uh, on my side of the aisle who are concerned about public safety is that there's a lot of uncertainty about what this law is going to do once it's fully implemented. Some of the provisions, particularly the elimination of cash bail completely, uh, have not really been tried in, on the state level uh, that we can point to. They're, they make uh, proponents make comparisons to the federal system or a juvenile court system, but not the more broader system that a state criminal justice system would have. So I think that's where the rhetoric comes from is uh, concern about what it could mean if we see some of the potential worst case scenarios. Uh, but I, I do think, and maybe more to your point, that it's important to try to examine the law and get a feel for what this will mean in practice uh, by talking to those in law enforcement, uh, attorneys in the criminal justice system, advocates to see what, what their opinion is on what, what this will mean. I, I think even the most... Um you know, honest Democrat would tell you that the way the law is written, there are a few problems in it, uh, mostly in the um, categorization of what's a threat to an individual person or to uh, or to a uh, or a community at large. Uh, conversations are underway, though, and, and we saw Senator Bennett introduced a bill uh, this week that, that starts to implement some of those changes. Are you confident in these discussions and in what state's attorneys are talking to the House about that that this can be cleaned up and fixed over, over the next, what do we have, two, three months before this takes effect? Well, we will have an opportunity after the election during the lame duck session to potentially address these issues. Uh, hopefully we take that opportunity and, uh, and make changes that are necessary. You know, I I have advocated uh, and in fact filed a bill to repeal the Safety Act, except for a couple provisions. Uh, I believe that we should take a fresh look at uh, what was done with the Safety Act, but I also understand that uh, prior to uh, January, my party is going to be in the super minority, so the likelihood of that bill being heard and voted on is, is not very good. So we have to look at what, what we have in front of us. As to Senator Bennett's bill, I think it is a significant improvement on uh, the Safety Act's uh, elimination of cash bail. It eliminates a lot of the ambiguities on uh, what is detainable and not detainable. And I'm using the word ambiguity kind of charitably. I don't really think that's the case. I think it's pretty clear there are certain offenses that are not detainable or rarely detainable under the way that the law is written uh, and passed by the General Assembly. So I, I think that bill would... Uh, would allow for more offenses that would be considered violent or dangerous felonies to be detainable and would eliminate some of those concerns uh, and 
we'll just see if that is able to get further discussion. You and I talked about this a couple of weeks ago, uh, and I, I had the story in the newsletter about what it would take for Republicans to get on board with the idea of ending cash bail. Um, you know, I, I, I don't, I don't know whether it's right or wrong or, or it's the right thing or the wrong thing, but, but clearly Democrats are in the, the supermajority in both the house and the Senate. They, they have the governor's office there. They appear committed to ending cash bail. So that's going to happen, but, but it's how it's done. What would it take for, for Republicans to get on board with a change uh, to this bill that would make it um, acceptable to you all moving forward after January 1st? I think for a lot of us, it's uh, having a seat at the table for these discussions. We have not been invited or involved in any of the uh, discussions of, with the original Safety Act or any of the trailer bills that have uh, been voted on and three have passed the House, two have passed the Senate. And we're also not in included in the current working group that is meeting meeting and discussing possible changes. So I think for us, uh, the, before we start throwing out our ideas uh, in the public, we would like to be invited to the discussions uh, that are occurring and provide input there, uh, which uh, I think is the most appropriate way for this to occur. Uh, you know, I myself personally have reached out to uh, proponents and offered to meet, discuss, talk about possible changes. I can't say that I've not received any response, but it's been very limited response and I've, I've not been included in any of the meetings. In fact, I think about all we were included with in the original Safety Act was we had some subject matter hearings uh, in, and committee hearings on subject matter of criminal justice reform in the Judiciary Criminal Committee. But once the bill was, uh, well, with the amendment passed the Senate and came to the House, there was no further committee hearings and no further opportunity for us to to uh, vet those issues that uh, were presented in the bill. And of course, since then, it's been the only response has been trailer bills, which, again, we have not been invited to that discussion. But what, what specifically is it more discretion for judges? Is it a clear line of what is and isn't detainable or 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 should be detainable? What what specifically could could ease your concerns as to what's in this bill? Well, in my uh, conversations with states' attorneys, uh, what they have said is if we are going to eliminate cash bail, and many of the states' attorneys support uh, eliminating cash bail, uh, they would prefer the judges to have more discretion on what offenses are detainable, basically a, a true case-by-case -case basis, uh, rather than having categories which are detainable and those outside the, those categories are not detainable, and basically use a either public safety and or flight risk um, category that broadly to determine for a judge to determine who can be detained uh, prior to trial. I think that that would be a good starting point uh, for us uh, to discuss. I think you know the state's attorneys are the ones that will be attempting to implement this beginning uh, January 1st. I would note that prior to the passage of the Safety Act, the pretrial commission uh, from the Supreme Court uh, that the commission that was advising the Supreme Court on pretrial practices did not recommend completely eliminating cash bail because of uh, the readiness of the judicial system uh, throughout the state to, to tackle that. Uh, they favored a more gradual approach and implementation. Uh, so I, as a conservative, I 
favor more gradual approaches to changes in the law versus large sweeping changes. Uh, large sweeping changes are harder to make it harder to correct mistakes that occur. Uh, so I would have preferred something that was more gradual. And again, my uh, my desires, though, however, were not the ones that carried the day. So, so in Senator Bennett's bill, which is kind of the first uh, first overture we've seen from Democrats, and and Scott Bennett from from Champaign is a moderate Democrat who uh, is a former assistant state's attorney in Champaign County. So he's he's you know he's been involved in the system as well. The bill continues to eliminate cash bail. Uh, but it states that uh, clearly uh, a defendant can be labeled a flight risk if they have previous non-appearances in court, uh, would make the cash bail law applicable beginning January 1, 2023, meaning current cases, pending cases, would continue to fall under the current system, uh, would allow a judge to hold a defendant if charged with a forcible felony uh, and if, or if the defendant is eligible for a prison sentence and clarifies multiple definitions for holding a defendant, uh, eliminates provisions for a specific person, which which has been brought up in some of the concerns for the bill uh, and makes threats to can be held if they make threats to any person or the community. As, as you read that bill, as you read that th those provisions, are you comfortable with all of those things? Well, I did note there was a, uh, in that 110-6.1A section, which is currently has a list of seven categories for which a person can be detained pretrial. It adds an eighth, which is more of a catch-all and much broader than the, uh, the current law. So I, I do favor that if we're going to eliminate cash bail entirely, that there needs to be a broader provision that allows a judge to consider or have more discretion and what they consider uh, for detention. So that I thought was uh, was a positive. I uh, also appreciated the fact that there were some issues with uh, speedy trial time or time to bring the defendant to trial. It was uh, corrected from 90 days to 120, which matches other aspects of Illinois law for speedy trial. So there were some uh, positive corrections uh, in the bill, in my opinion. I, I do want to move uh, on to ethics. You sit on the okay. House Ethics Committee, uh, and and we've had another legislator, uh, Senator Napoleon or uh, Senator Emil Jones III, uh, indicted um, on on bribery charges in the, the last couple of weeks, and we have uh, another state senator, Mike Hastings, who we'll talk about here in a little bit, who's who's got some some ethics issues and in, in state funds being used in an investigation and settlement with a. Uh, an employee, as well as obviously issues of domestic violence, which which fall outside of the purview of a legislator in ethics. But um, the, the Democrats are going to point to the fact that they passed uh, an ethics reform bill earlier this year that that tries to address some of the financial things and 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 maybe even a, a revolving door provision. Did that go far enough to you? Well, there were two things that really stood out to me where it did not go far enough. I don't know that it would have made a difference uh, with Senator Jones uh, or Senator Hastings, but uh, I believe there needs to be a complete ban on legislators lobbying uh, the state or local governments. Uh, right now, the ban uh, for local governments is more limited than I'd like to see it. I think it should be a complete ban. I don't believe the legislator should be lobbyists, as simple as that. And I also uh, think that the what we call the revolving door provision needs to be strengthened. Uh, there was a provision that prevents legislators from leaving the General Assembly and then becoming 
a lobbyist, they have to wait a six month period of time uh, before they can become a lobbyist. However, there is a, a pretty big loophole in that, that provision that says if you leave before the end of the General Assembly, in essence, you just have to wait to the start of the next General Assembly, not the full six months. So you could have a scenario where someone waits to the final day before the next General Assembly resigns, and then in a day or two, they can they can turn around and lobby, which would defeat the point of having a uh, cooling off period or revolving door provision. I would prefer at least a one-year hard uh, provision that would not allow anyone to lobby the, the General Assembly for a lot let a legislator lobby the General Assembly for at least a year uh, after they've left. And I think those two things really stick out from the prior bill uh, that should have been included uh, and really would strengthen it. I don't I don't have to tell you that that there's not a lot of trust in politicians these days out there, whether it's Republican, Democrat, independent voters, et cetera, uh, who think that you're you're all crooks, that, that you're all bad guys on the take, uh, even even if you're not there. There's clearly a, a negative reaction to who legislators are, who politicians are and what they do. How do you improve that, whether whether you're in the minority or in the majority or or whether you're just Patrick Winhorst from from Metropolis, Illinois? How do you how do you improve the way people see politicians in this state? Well, that's actually something I, I think about quite a bit. Um, building trust is a hard thing to do. It's easy to lose trust. It's hard to build it. Uh, so there are a couple of things that I think we as legislators or you know, statewide politicians should should seek to do. Number one involves keeping your word. Uh, if you say something, uh, do your best to make sure you keep it and that what you say is accurate. Admit when you made a mistake, admit when you're not correct, which happens. Um, and we need to be honest about those things. Uh, I think being honest uh, and being open with the public and transparent would go a long way uh, toward building trust uh, among, with the public towards state government. Uh, we have to hold ourselves to a higher standard. Uh, and, you know, it's, it's easy in politics to say, well, the other side's doing this, therefore I can do this and it's acceptable because they're doing it. And of course, we know that just leads to a race to the bottom in our politics. And yeah, it's something we should avoid. We should look to move beyond. Um, I, we should hold ourselves to a higher standard. I hope the public holds us to a higher standard. And uh, I think if we can do those things, um, be transparent, open, honest, keep our word, and uh, keep high standards, I think that will begin us down the road of building trust uh, with the public. Representative, as a, a fellow guy with an Irish first name and German last name, I, I always appreciate uh, uh, where where we come from on these things and uh, appreciate uh, the good conversation. And uh, hopefully we'll talk to you again soon. Thank you. Appreciate the opportunity. Great. That's uh, State Representative Patrick Windhorst joining us on uh, the Illinois uh, live stream and podcast uh, here on a, a Wednesday. And, and definitely uh, interesting to to hear his his uh, his comments and, and whether Republicans can be open to the idea of eliminating cash bail uh, at all. But uh, let's let's continue the conversation and, and move uh, more to the idea of, of, of ethics. 
All right, we move our conversation to corruption and uh, ethics investigations and some of the maybe more sordid uh, happenings in, in Springfield at the moment. We welcome uh, Dan Mihalopoulos from uh, WBEZ, Chicago Public Media, uh, an investigative reporter there who's who's been on uh, the case of Senator Mike Hastings, uh, a, a previously quickly rising Democrat, was mentioned as a guy who would run for Secretary of State, now caught up in, in some uh, uh, cases about taxpayer uh, dollars being used to, to pay a settlement against a former employees, uh, allegations of abuse against his, his estranged wife. Dan, where does this begin? Okay, so Mike Hastings is a guy who comes from a political family, right, in the south suburbs. Uh, his father is, is a mayor in the south suburbs, and uh, his trajectory, as you pointed out, was on the rise. You know, young guy, early 40s now, uh, was one of the youngest state senators when he was elected back in 2012 uh, with a sterling resume, military veteran, West Point graduate, uh, athlete, uh, when he was a student as well at the Division I level, and um, you know, was was rising through the ranks in, in Springfield since getting there as well. It was part of the leadership team until recently for the Senate Democrats, who are, are obviously in the majority there. And um, he also still is the chairman of uh, the Energy and Public Utilities Committee, which obviously is very important on environmental issues and issues relating to the state regulated uh, power companies like ComEd which has been very much in the news the last few years. So uh, everything was was going uh, pretty well for him uh, until uh, some allegations uh, and accusations uh, surfaced from uh, various uh, places, um, his office, his home, and a lobbyist with uh, significant interests uh, before his committee. What's the, let's start with the, the staff perspective here. So, so the state uh, investigated and settled with, with a member of his, his legislative staff. We, we don't know a ton, I guess, in terms of details. What, what do we know about where that came from and why? Oh, no, we know a lot about it. I mean, there are reams of documents, uh, inspector general reports, uh, legal uh, files uh, primarily in Cook County Circuit Court. Um, and, um, you know, it was a woman who was his chief of staff named Cassandra Matz. And um, she is from the south suburbs also. Um, she made a, a variety of accusations, essentially uh, of discrimination, racial, gender, uh, and other uh, political discrimination, uh, where she says that um, she was treated unfairly, that he reported her to the legislative inspector general to retaliate for her uh, complaints. Um, long story short, though, uh, the state uh, was sued, the state Senate. Um, Hastings was sued by Cassandra Matz. It was fought by the attorney general and by a private lawyer that was hired through the attorney general for Hastings. And uh, at the end, they settled it. Um, they paid $100,000 uh, in total to Matz and her lawyer, and they spent close to $47,000 uh, to bring in outside counsel who represented Hastings. So a total uh, cost of nearly $150,000 without admitting any wrongdoing uh, by Hastings or the state. 
What's what's the pattern of this? I mean, do, is this something that happens often that 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 a legislator is sued or the or the Senate is sued in in that regard? That um, you know, as an institution or or by an employee, this this isn't. You know, I mean, obviously, I worked in the Senate for for a year or so. Uh, you know, back when back when Hastings first got there in in twenty early twenty thirteen. But it's it's not common that these sort of things happen, is it? We don't know. Uh, we asked that of the attorney general, and um, we don't have an answer, a clear answer of uh, whether something exactly like this has happened before and if it ended up the way that this case ended up. But we certainly don't know of uh, any other cases uh, precisely like this. What's the what's the situation with his wife? Okay, so. Um, he filed for divorce last year, and he filed for divorce the day after um, she called the police to their home, said that they had had a confrontation that was verbal in nature on that day back in April of 2021. But in the course of talking to the police uh, in um, Frankfurt, uh, she told them uh, that uh, she alleged that, that he had become physical with her on one occasion uh, essentially putting her in a headlock and, and slamming her uh, head um, into a door, I think it was. And uh, he denies this. Uh, he says that the police report uh, should never have seen uh, the light of day, but it got out over the summer. And that's really what set off the chain of events that led to him giving up his position in leadership. And uh, now there are people calling uh, for his resignation, among them a lobbyist, uh, named Jen Walling, who uh, is one of the top environmental lobbyists uh, in, in Springfield, who says that he bullied her, uh, approached her in a menacing way, slammed his hands on the table, um, didn't uh, do anything physical, uh, according to Walling, uh, but that she felt, like I said, bullied uh, by him and that she, she and, and people that work with her at the Illinois Environmental Council, she says, will not lobby him anymore. And they think that he should he should resign. So uh, I'll get to her in a moment. But the, the governor the, thinks thinks so, too. Yeah. I'll get back to her in a moment. But the the um, the issue with his wife and the police report, um, what what actions are are different here? Because one, I don't know why he thinks a police report wouldn't be public because they're always public. But but two, the the divorce records themselves, the the case itself has been has been sealed, which is is completely out of the norm, right? Oh yes, I mean, for me as an investigative reporter, it's very common to look at divorce files, uh, not just because of allegations of uh, of abuse, but also uh, we have many situations where we find out a lot of financial details that uh, are relevant, and I could show you many many stories. Uh, that we have done uh, based on divorce records that are our public record. Uh, the issue here, though, is I went to Will County. I went to the, the courthouse in Joliet. I asked for that file. I searched by name. I had the case number. Nothing came up on the computer, and they refused to give us any documents. In fact, they said that they were impounded. How how is that? How is that possible? Did the, the, the judge seal it, and how could he do that while it's going on? We don't know. Um, we believe uh, that Hastings requested that. That's what his spokesman Ray Hanania told us that Hastings requested it because he felt that it would be used 
for political reasons against him. Um, but uh, actually, we filed a motion just recently in court, uh, Chicago Public Media and WBZ filed a motion in court to have that unsealed. So we mentioned the the issue with the lobbyist, uh, Jen Walling, who who we know a little bit and, and you know, she's not a particularly menacing figure, you know, in, I mean, she's a, you know, a, a petite, strong-willed, you know, uh, young lady, and he's a, not a small, uh, you know, guy. I mean, how, and, and yet his side came out and said she was doing the bullying. This, this, I've, I've just been completely baffled by his response to everything in the course of this. Do you have any indication of, of, of what's going on here? Is this just damage control gone wrong? I'm I'm just completely baffled by this. Yeah, he hired a guy named Rahan Ania, who's been, you know, he's a former Sun-Times reporter, um, and uh, that's who's been coordinating his response. He didn't agree to be interviewed by us about any of these matters. Uh, but yeah, it was uh, certainly an aggressive response. They said that she's the bully, but they didn't really offer any details they produced some text messages where at times they had more genial interactions, uh, Hastings and, and Jen Walling. Her response to that is, you know, I had to deal with him because he's, he's the chairman of the most important committee for environmental issues. And I'm an environmental lobbyist. And, and after she saw the accusations from his wife, she, she was concerned uh, that she didn't want to want to be uh, interviewed by him again. She had, by the way, text messages, contemporaneous text messages of her own, where she was that she shared with me, where it showed that she um, had those concerns and shared them with other people at the time that those uh, events happened over the last several years with with Hastings. So the governor has called on Hastings to resign, along with with Emil Jones the third, who was indicted on on bribery charges. Where's Don Harmon? in all this he's they, this continues to be a pattern in the senate democrats it seems that that and and there never seems to be a call for any change tom cullerton wasn't called on to resign or forced to resign you know you can go back to sandoval um, you know sandoval and 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 terry link etc you know this 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 seems to be a pattern in the among at least the senate democrats and and why aren't we hearing anything more from them Right. It was the governor who asked for the resignations last week of Hastings and Emil Jones III, who's a different situation, obviously, being accused of, of corruption in federal court. But um, both of them were, were asked to resign by the governor, not by the Senate president, is my understanding. We've been trying to, to get a comment about Hastings uh, from uh, the office of, of the Senate president for weeks now. And it's it's very little uh, that's coming from there. Almost nothing, uh, as as far as I can tell, on the record. Uh, I've I've read in other sources that um, you know he that the Senate president, and the Senate Democrats, will not support Hastings' re-election. You know he's got a Republican opponent. I think you've analyzed it as thoroughly as anyone. I, I saw on your website um, th that this Republican opponent in November. Um, is is underfunded relative to Hastings, even without the uh, the Senate Democrats getting involved at this stage, at least. Uh, you have, um, you know, some discussion that it was the Senate president who requested and received the resignation from leadership of Hastings, but he's still a chairman of a Senate committee. And 
you know, I, I don't see any response, at least not on the record anywhere from the Senate president about this. And so, yeah, there are people wondering where is the Senate president on this and why is it the governor who has to make this uh, call and not the Senate president? Dan Pahalopoulos from WBEZ, Chicago Public Media. Uh, Dan, we appreciate the time as always. Thanks so much. My pleasure. Thanks. All right. Thanks to Dan Michalopoulos from WBEZ, Chicago Public Media, a uh, great investigative reporter. Uh, appreciate his time uh, as he uh, sat down with us, uh, sat down with us to to talk about the the case involving Mike Hastings, which he's been uh, digging into over the last uh, few weeks. Uh, we're going to continue to to follow elections and campaigns and and what's going on here across the state over the the final six weeks of the uh, the general election campaign. Uh, we're going to have a new story up here on the, the website shortly uh, that subscribers got this morning on a new ad from uh, Supreme Court candidate, uh, appellate justice Mary Kay O'Brien, uh, who who's seemingly telling a lie uh, about the uh, abortion position of her opponent, uh, who's incumbent justice Mike Burke. Uh, they cited an interview uh, and claimed that he he said he agreed with the Dobbs decision, the, the Roe v. Wade decision, and 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 to and supports ending uh, the 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 Roe case. And uh, they they cited a uh, an interview that he did on a, a public access kind of show uh, a few weeks ago, and he never actually says what they allege that he said. Uh, so it's it's interesting. Um, you know, that they've been, they've been caught in this and how they're going to backtrack it. And if they're going to have to, if they're going to get called out, uh, obviously the, the pack that's supporting uh, Darren Bailey's campaign and, and against uh, JB Pritzker uh, has had a couple of ads pulled because of inaccurate information. And, uh, and, and in some cases complaints, I guess, because they're, don't get me started on this because it's, it, it doesn't make a lot of sense why why some ads were kept and I understand why others weren't. But it we're in a very tense situation and and I hope that we all can take a breath uh, and, and remember that we are all human and everybody has uh, everybody is a, a, a person who who has a family and, and and people around them and and you know, is trying their best, whether you agree with them or disagree with them, you know, whether, whether you like JB Pritzker or hate JB Pritzker, I don't think he's out like actively trying to destroy the state or, or you think Darren Bailey's trying to, you know, maim women in a, an alley somewhere. It's not that that's not true. It's, it's, they're just people who see the future of the state very differently. And they're asking for who you agree with most. It's, it's that's what it boils down to. And everybody just needs to take a little bit of a chill pill in between. Thanks so much for joining us. Uh, continue to follow our stuff at theillinois.com. You can sign up for our newsletter up in the top right corner. We've got stuff in your inbox every day, especially if you're a paid subscriber. Uh, we'd love to have you. And I uh, hope you'll join us again next time here on the Illinois for our live stream podcast. Have a great day.